Please listen carefully. Salutations, toppers, and welcome to episode 72 of the Turn of Phrases podcast. I hope this episode finds you well, and I thank you for giving me some of your time today. Speaking of today, if you're listening to this episode the day it dropped, then today is my second wedding anniversary. So therein lies the theme. We're going to look at phrases and traditions that have to do with marriage, anniversaries, and the number two. So without further ado, let's celebrate today's phrases, origins, history, and more. Let's begin with the term newlyweds. Most people think of newlyweds as a couple married for less than two years. So I guess I don't qualify anymore. Although some folks do consider the first four years to be the newlywed years, so I suppose I can still claim to be a newlywed if I want to. Length of time aside, where did we get this term from? One may assume it's simply a combination of the words new and wed. And, well, one would be right. However, there still is a word journey to go on to see how we got to the word, so I'm going to take you down that road. The word itself isn't as old as you may think, at least not in the way we use it. Newlywed as a noun has only been traced back to 1907 and it's thought to have become used in this way due to its use in a comic strip featured in the New York newspaper called The World. The comic strip was called The Newlyweds and Their Baby, and it followed the lives of Mr. and Mrs. Newlywed. Now, as an adjective, newlywed has been used to describe recently married people since the early 19th century, most likely appearing in the vernacular in the 1830s. About 300 years prior to this, the descriptor of choice was new married. And before moving on, the word new can be traced back to the Pi word nuo, which simply meant new. As a reminder, Pi means Porto-Indo-European, and Pi roots are generally accepted as the beginning of words, also known as the root of them. Also, as another reminder, most Pi roots are from around 4500 to 2500 BC. Anyway, the Pi word for wed was waj. I probably said that wrong, I'm totally guessing. It's spelled W-A-D-H. This word meant to pledge or to redeem a pledge. So, breaking it down, newlywed basically means you're someone who has taken a new pledge, which could also mean vow so it's a term that makes perfect sense. After a few years, that pledge, while still valid, isn't really new anymore, so you aren't really a newlywed anymore either. Now let's look at the etymology of anniversary. An anniversary is simply a date on which something took place in a previous year. It's a way to remember or celebrate something or someone. But where did we get this word? We can start at the Pi root word were, which meant to turn or bend, or to raise, lift, or hold something suspended. 
This led to the word vertere, which still meant turn. When you combine the past participle of verde, which is versus, with the word annus, you get the Latin word anniversaris, which meant returning yearly. Anniversarius became anniversarium in medieval Latin, then became the modern-day anniversary in Middle English. And since we combined two words, versus and annus, let's step back to see where the word annus came from. The pi root was atno, which was used to say which goes, or a year, as in going around. After bouncing around through many languages over a long time, atno became the Latin word anus. The adjective version of this word was annalise, which became annualis in medieval Latin. Then it became the Old French annual, spelled A-N-N-U-E-L. For time frame purposes, at this point we're in the 12th century, and by the 14th century the word annual as we use it in English was in use. Now that I've butchered all those old-timey times words, let's look at the history of traditional anniversary gifts. So, obviously, you can give your significant other whatever you want to to celebrate an anniversary. However, wedding anniversaries have long been associated with specific types of gifts that are traditionally given. For example, the first anniversary is paper, and the 50th is gold. Now, gift-giving for anniversaries in general can be traced back to at least ancient Rome, though some people think it started in medieval Germany. Whichever place it came from, it's generally accepted that it was likely a common practice by the 8th century BC. It took a while for this to become a tradition in English-speaking countries, as it doesn't seem to become widely popular there until the 19th century. During the Victorian era, marrying for love was becoming more common, but people thought that marriages would never last if love was all they had. So they started giving yearly gifts to commemorate their love, keeping them together for another year. Although, in general, the gifts were mainly given to the wife from the husband to basically say, hey, good job on making this all work for another year. So when and from where did these annual gifts get themes? It was about this same time in the Victorian era in the United Kingdom. It likely made its way across the pond to the United States by the 20th century, though not every country uses the exact same list. The traditional materials that are assigned to each year do vary from country to country, but they're all fairly similar. So we have the when and where, but still, what is the why? Well, the 25-year silver gift and the 50-year gold gift can be traced all the way back to medieval times, so that's not so complicated. In old-timey times, people generally only celebrated the bigger anniversaries with gifts, mainly because they couldn't afford gifts every year, and it made the quote-unquote milestones like 5, 10, 25, and 50 more special. The inclusion of the rest of the years likely came into practice also in the Victorian era. The gifts on the list basically boil down to the idea that when a couple starts out, they have less financial stability than they will later in life. So, since paper products are often cheap, it's a good place to start. Year two is cotton, 
three is leather, four is fruit or flowers, and by five years we get to wooden gifts. It continues on from there, with the themes getting generally more expensive as time goes on. Now, there's also a modern-day list of theme gifts that came into use in 1937. For comparison, the first five years on this list includes these gifts. Clocks, china, crystal or glass, electrical appliances, and silverware. Why did the list get a reboot? Well, it was the almighty dollar. In 1937, some jewelers realized that they were getting left out of the anniversary gift-giving market for the most part of the first 24 years. So they released a new list that would make it easier to market anniversary gifts much earlier in the relationship. So while this tradition started out as a way to celebrate just the quote-unquote big anniversaries, it morphed into a way to celebrate each and every year in its own special way. Now. Let's see why it takes two to tango. The idiom, it takes two to tango, is used to describe a situation where two people must participate, because it can't be done alone. This is sometimes used negatively. For example, one person can't have an argument, it takes at least two, so you can't blame an argument on just the other person. It's used positively too, though, to imply that each person in a couple needs the other to accomplish something. So it's used as a way to share blame, responsibilities, duties, etc. When you look at the tango itself, this makes sense. The tango requires two people moving in relation to each other, sometimes together and sometimes in opposition. The idiom itself came from a song called Takes Two to Tango, which was written and composed in 1952 by Al Hoffman and Dick Manning. The song became popular when it was recorded and released that same year by actress and singer Pearl Bailey. The saying became more popular when President Ronald Reagan said the following during a 1982 presidential news conference in reference to the American-Russian relationship. He said, quote, For ten years, Dente was based on words by them and not any words to back them up. And we need some action that they it takes two to tango, that they want to tango also. End quote. It became a popular phrase in the media from that point on, and it grew in popularity for the general public as well. Now, before moving on, the idea behind this one is much older, having been traced back to at least the 16th century. Back then, it was said as, it takes two to bargain, or it takes two to make a quarrel. This makes sense, as the tango wasn't invented until the late 19th century. No one seems to know exactly when the original version of bargain or quarrel came into the vernacular, but it was being used in writings by 1597, so it was some time before then. Now, let's think alike. The proverb, great minds think alike, means that, well, people with great minds think in a similar way. And since couples tend to think alike, I thought I'd throw this one into today's episode. So, as far as the exact phrase, this proverb isn't that old, at least not compared to some phrases. The idea behind it goes back to the 17th century, which we know because it's found in a play written by English dramatist de Bridgecourt Belchier, 
1618, he published a play called Hans Beer Pot, his invisible comedy of See Me and See Me Not, which included this line, quote, Though he made that verse, these words were made before. Good wits, do jump. End quote. Apparently, back in old-timey times, jump was used to mean agree with or coincide. Now, some people think there were other versions of this saying that were older and in different languages, but this was the earliest English usage I could find. It took nearly 200 years for the think-alike version we use today to be written down, at least proverbially. In 1816, Russian author Karl Theodor von Unlansky wrote a biography on the Russian Tsar Peter the Great. It was called The Woeful History of the Unfortunate Eudoxia, First Consort of the Tsar, Peter the Great, Emperor of Russia. Apparently, Karl didn't subscribe to the notion that less is more, at least not when it came to the title of his book. Anyway, in that biography, he wrote, quote, it may occur that an editor has already printed something on the identical subject. Great minds think alike, you know. End quote. Not everyone subscribes to this idea. In fact, some people use the longer version of the saying, which is, Great minds think alike, though fools seldom differ. Which basically means that while great minds may think alike, foolish people rarely have thoughts of their own. Whether you agree with the idea behind the proverb or not, I don't think this one is going to disappear from the vernacular anytime soon. So let's move on to today's familiar quotation. Toppers, today's familiar quotation is from Julia Child. Here's what she had to say about marriage. Quote, the secret of a happy marriage is finding the right person. You know they're right if you love to be with them all the time. End quote. Thank you, Mrs. Child, for giving us today's familiar quotation. All right, toppers, it's time for today's For Better or For Words, love advice from old-timey times. Just a quick disclaimer, remember that this advice is over a hundred years old. While some of the advice is still good today, I don't necessarily agree with every tip I read from these books. It's for entertainment purposes only. With that out of the way, let's hear from the ladies first. Don't take your husband at his own valuation, but at yours. He may be unduly modest or just a little too cocksure. And now for the men. Don't hang about the house all day if your occupation does not take you abroad. Spend regular hours in your study or den or go out and play golf, but don't inflict your company on your wife during every minute of every day. She is fond of you, but she wants to be free sometimes, and she has business to do if you haven't. All right, toppers, that's going to do it for episode 72. Thank you for lending me your ears today to turn some phrases. As I always do, I hope you enjoyed the episode and you learned something along the way. 
Check out my website, turnofphrases.com, to find out information about the show's social media, how to send me topic suggestions, how to support the podcast, and for details about the music I use in the show. If you had a good time listening, please consider subscribing or leaving a rating and review. Also, if you know someone who'd enjoy the show, please tell them about it to help spread the word. If you want bonus stuff, check out my Patreon page. There's a link in the show notes. Thanks again for listening to the Turn of Phrases podcast. Researched, written, hosted, and produced by me, Brisky. Until next time, toppers, thanks for tangoing through old-timey times with me today. Toodaloo! And now... This is... Let me rephrase. Sal, you... Oh, now I can hear what I'm saying, so I know if it sounds better than normal. You haven't even started and you're making bloopers. Okay, let's get in the game. Get your head in the game. My mouse is so far away. Come over here today. Okay. And it's thought to have become used the way... Nope, 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 nope. I lost my place. As a reminder, pie is delicious, but I don't know where my place is. I can't keep up with my place. Oh, there it is. As a reminder, pie means poda poda Anyway, the pie word for wed was wadha. I probably said that wrong. It's spelled W A D H. So yeah, why would it be wadha? <laughs> There's no a. Just wadh wadh. I don't know. We're just gonna go with whatever I said and just hope it's just wadh. Anyway, the pie word for wed was wadh. I don't. Anyway, the pie word for wed was wadh. Wadh. When you combine the past participle, I butchered that word. Oh, I can't sing. I don't know why I'm doing that. When you combine. <laughs> I gotta get through this. When you combine the past participle, participle, I know how to say this word. Why do words that I know how to say just. Slay me. Participle. Past participle. 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 It's just participle. It's simple. During the Victorian era, error, error. Well, that's because, yeah, okay. During the Victorian era, Mary, Mary. It was about this same time in the Victorian era. 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 It's not error. So it's as... Oh, nope. In 1816, Russian author Karl Theodore von Ulansky wrote a bi biography... Biography. Anography about bees. Ooh, it's buzzworthy. <laughs>